good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is where we'll be here in just a second. Uh, but I wanted to start off and just uh, first off say what an incredible message uh, that Barry preached last week. If you were here, you were blessed. I am thankful for men of God that are willing to preach and do such a fantastic job. And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, so make sure that you encourage him also. And uh, secondly, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, for the gift that you gave us for pastor appreciation. That was a huge blessing for me and for our family. And so I am thankful and humbled to be a part of such a wonderful giving church. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, another thing is I was kind of thinking through it over the past couple of weeks. Uh, sometimes we don't define what it looks like to be an active church member at Pooler Bible. And so I wanted to start off and just kind of make sure that we all understand what that definition looks like, okay? Uh, the first thing that we uh, want is for you to accept Christ. That is the greatest thing that's the most important to us, that you would accept Christ. Secondly, the first act of obedience after that is baptism. This is a public expression of what Christ has done in your heart, and this lets everybody know that you are a follower of Christ. Right after that, church membership. This is an important, vital role for us to be a part of the family of God. This is what it looks like as a church family that comes together, that worships, that cares about each other. And so within that church, there's responsibilities that come with this. Once you are a member of Pooler Bible Church, we want you to be involved in a community group. Spiritual growth, spiritual growth is an important part of who you are in Christ. And so that's where a lot of this takes place with spiritual growth. The next thing is that we want you to use your God-given gifts. God has given each and every one of you gifts to use for his glory and for his kingdom. When you don't use those gifts, the church lacks. Listen, everyone in here has been gifted in some areas, whether that's within children's, whether that's within the greeting team, whether that's on the tech team, whether that's teaching a community group, whether it's leading worship, all of us have been given gifts that God wants us to use. And then next, we want you to be generous givers. Listen, this is an active part of trusting and growing in your faith. It's vital to our church that you participate and let the Lord bless you for being a generous giver. And so that's what we look at as measured uh, success as Pooler Bible Church members. If there's an area that you're not actively pursuing, listen, Take that next step of faith and begin to be who God wants you to be in that, okay? So that was all just my, my prelim. So now let's get to the message. Are you ready? Uh, so I love this message, and I want to ask you, how many of you enjoy a good would you rather? Okay, let me give you some would you rathers. Don't answer the last one unless you need a marriage counseling appointment, okay? So I'm giving you fair warning, and I'll let you know when that one is before we get there. Uh, but the first one is this. Would you rather lose your sight or lose your memories? How many of you would you rather lose your sight? How many of you would rather lose your memories? How many of you aren't going to raise your church or your hand in church uh, whether God comes back or not? Okay, good. So we've got that. Listen, losing your sight or losing your memories, these are tough ones for us to think about. The next one, would you rather give up air conditioning and heating for the rest of your life or give up the internet for the rest of your life. How many of you would give up air conditioning and heating? Man, dude, do you live in the South with us? 
okay? Those are some hardcore people. Don't test them, okay? How many of you would give up the internet? Look, I'd give up that thing in a heartbeat, right? Um, except for directions and, you know, Google and all those things like that. So good. Uh, the next one, would you rather be in jail for five years or be in a coma for 10? Okay, how many of you would rather be in jail for five years? How many of you would rather be in a coma for 10? Okay, good. How many of you want to be in a coma just so you can get good sleep? Anybody? <laughs> you, just, you saw that as an opportunity to take a really good long nap, right? The next one. Would you rather swim in a pool full of Nutella or a pool full of maple syrup? How many of you are Nutella people? How many of you are maple syrup people? How many of you don't want to be sticky at all? That's me. I'm with you. Next one. This is the trap. Don't answer this question. How many of you would rather find true love today or win the lottery next year? Okay. Now listen, there's a lot of you that are broken in love. Okay. Uh, but that's kind of there. Now, let me, no, no. We don't have enough marital counseling appointments to cover that, uh, that, that, that answer to that question. So let me ask you a question, because I think Jesus gives a genuine would-you-rather question for this. Would you rather have physical healing or forgiveness of sins? Because that's what Mark is going to deal with this morning. That's what Jesus is going to deal with here in just a few minutes. And so when we come to this passage of scripture, a little bit of context, Jesus goes home. Realize up to this point, he had been ministering to some of the regions that were kind of close to home. And so he finally comes home. And so he's maybe getting to get a little bit of rest. Maybe he's trying to recoup or recover. Whatever it is, he comes home at this point to a place called Capernaum. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This was what it was like for him to come back to a place. He went there after being actively involved, healing many people and casting out demons. This is tiring work, I'm sure. And so word gets out. Hey, Jesus is home. Man, he's back. Remember, he's the guy that did miracles and cast out demons, and everybody was beginning to get fascinated with who he was. A crowd gathers in Mark chapter 2 and verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room. Now imagine this. Everybody in the town said, we're going to go to Jesus. And it was so crowded that it was elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder. Nobody could even move. Not even at the door, it says. He says that he was preaching the word to them. I imagine that this wasn't a short 30-minute sermon. This was a really long time where Jesus was just pouring into them what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be forgiven of their sins, what it means to be a genuine Christian up until this point. And so he's continually preaching to them. Everybody is gathered around. They're so close because they want to hear his voice. They want to hear the message that's taking place. And then chaos breaks out. A paralytic. To define this, this is somebody that cannot walk. This is somebody, we don't know the context or the history of whether or not this person has never been able to walk. We just know that up to this point, this person could not walk. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 3 and 4. 
He says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now capture this. Four men went and picked up a paralytic and said, we're going to take you to Jesus. So they get close. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Now capture this. If you're part of this crowd, if you're gathering in and Jesus is teaching and some rude individuals start busting in here trying to get a paralytic man healed, everybody around the crowd is kind of squeezing in going, not this way, not this way, not this way. How rude can you be? Leave the paralytic out there. Jesus will get to him eventually. The friends grow tired and say, we're taking the roof off. Now, I wonder which friend looked at the other one and was like, hey, weren't you a roofer in high school? Hey, how do we take this off? And then I wonder where the homeowner is going, hey, Jesus, can you teach somewhere else? These people are about to take my roof off to get this guy in. Can you imagine the crowd around him going, how entitled do you have to be? How rude. You don't just go around removing other people's roofs, amen? This is not acceptable behavior. Don't you know Jesus is in there? What are you doing? Hey, take the paralytic guy. We'll tell Jesus about him. Maybe he'll get healed, whatever. We're just trying to sit and listen to Jesus. Imagine it would be much like if somebody came in here this morning looking for healing. Everybody would go, don't interrupt. Don't inter- and, and can you imagine the homeowner? And listen, this roof is a good roof. We'd love to have a new one. But listen, we're not taking it off to get people in here, right? They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, now listen, if you've ever made an opening in a crowded line, nobody likes you. <laughs> You're the one that's kind of pushed in and bumped up against people and everybody's going, as you go by. They had made an opening. They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Crazy. In the middle of this house, Jesus has to stop teaching, stop preaching, and finally address The people that took the roof off of the house so that they could lower their friend down. So Jesus finally addresses it and he responds. And went in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, can I tell you in this moment, confusion set in. The paralytic probably looked at Jesus and said, no, 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 I can't walk. I need these healed. I'm not worried about what's inside here. Can can you make me walk? His friends are like, oh, great. Now we got to carry big boy back. Jesus, thanks, Jesus. We lifted up the roof so that you would heal his legs, and now you've forgiven him. Great. Imagine the paralytic in that moment going, man, 
this is not what I expected. Can you imagine the friends going, man, we knew that if we brought him to Jesus, he would be able to walk. Jesus heals it, or sin, he says, your sins are forgiven. In verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Imagine that in this moment the scribes are extremely frustrated. See, up to this point, they didn't allow any of this to take place. Nobody claimed to be somebody that could forgive other people of their sins. But before we get to that, to give full context to what's taking place in this story, in this illustration, imagine that you went to the doctor. The doctor says, hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. You say, give me the bad news first, doc. He says, here's the news. You're going to die in three weeks of cancer. I'm sorry, it's spread. Everything's, it, it, it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Doc, give me the good news. And the Doc goes, you can be forgiven. Imagine in that moment, what would you feel? Would you look at the doctor and give him raving reviews as to be the best doctor that could ever exist? You would probably look at him and go, I need a second opinion. I need somebody to take care of the thing that's killing me. So realize, Jesus focuses on what's of greatest importance. This unsettles the scribes so much because they were looking to Jesus, beginning to start to believe that he may actually be the Messiah that they had been told about. There's one thing that threw them for a loop. Up to this point, historical perspective reveals that the Messiah could overcome demons. He could cast out demons. He would put a perfect government in place. He could judge the godless, but nowhere in Scripture up to this point is it mentioned that the Messiah would be able to forgive sins. One of the incredible things that's happening in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus, for the first time, is revealing not only is he fully man in flesh, but he is fully God. So we come to this, would you rather question in verse 8. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? He reveals to them but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Listen, I tell you this morning, whatever physical ailment that you have, more importantly than any physical ailment is your sins to be forgiven. One is earthly, one is temporary, one is while you are here, but your sins to be forgiven is eternal This is you being with Christ in heaven for all of eternity. 
So he continues with this passage of scripture. Mark chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and he immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed. Now imagine in this moment, the people that carried him there were like, Ooh, I am so glad we don't have to carry that guy back where we got him from. But everybody else is looking, going, wait a minute. He forgave him of his sins, and he physically healed him. And I love the response of the people that were there. Mark captures the crowd probably better than any other gospel writer. And he captures the crowd in this way. And he said, as the person was leaving, he said, so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying this. We never saw anything like this. This is completely new. Every one of them was amazed. Not that they had healed the paralytic, but that he had forgiven them of their sins. They were beginning to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, that he could heal, he could forgive. Listen, this makes the message for everyone here. So what lessons can we learn from a paralytic? What lessons can we learn from this great illustration, this great story, this great encounter with Jesus? The first is this, find good friends. Listen, I got to be honest with you. As I was trying to scroll through the list that if I was paralyzed and I had some friends that needed to take me to Jesus, I don't know who I'd call. Crazy part is, this friend didn't even call the guys to take him to Jesus. They went and picked him up and said, hey, we know somebody that can heal you. Time to go. Listen, we need to find good friends. The reason I said what I did about the church and the fellowship that takes place within the church is that that should be taking place here. Find good friends. It was crazy that Jesus did not heal based on the paralytic's faith. He healed based on the friend's faith. Listen, the next thing that we can learn from this is that we need to be this kind of friend. Listen to me. It's one thing to find friends like that, but it is completely different to be this person here. The world needs people that will run to them and say, listen, I don't know about your physical being, but I know that Jesus can forgive you. Look, we don't see friendship much like this anymore. When things get difficult, people bail. One of the reputations that's known in the church is that it's the only army that shoots its own. Imagine this. Somebody goes through sin and somebody goes through a difficult situation. The church turns against them rather than going to them and restoring them. Listen, our responsibility is to be the type of friend that goes and gets people and tears a roof off so that they can see Jesus. 
One of the greatest detriments to a church continually moving forward is this. We've stopped caring about other people seeing Jesus. Listen, I don't know about you, but if there was a crowd that was coming here, I could care less about the roof as long as they get to see who Jesus is. Listen, we have to be these friends. This is the function of the church. When you see somebody that's going through something difficult, you run to them, you scoop them up, and you go, I know the one who heals. It's a sad commentary on the church when we have the Jesus who heals and don't share it with the world that's around us. Look, we should be knocking down walls to get people to Jesus. It should be the greatest priority in our life. The next lesson that we can learn from this is to focus on the spiritual, not just the physical. Listen, we get caught up so many times with lifestyle evangelism that we live for Christ and we kind of do things the right way and we just hope that somebody else will see Jesus in us. The reality is it takes actual words to go along with that lifestyle. We have to be willing to tell them about who this Jesus is. So many times we focus on the physical and meeting the physical needs. Listen, here's the reality. We can feed the hungry, we can clothe the poor, we can pay everyone's bills, but we must tell them about Jesus who can forgive them. He's the only one that can do this. I came across an illustration this past week that I'd heard I have no idea how many years ago. Ernest Hemingway grasped some of the difficulty that characterizes relationships between father and sons in his short story, The Capital of the World. The story revolves around a father and his teenage son, Paco, set in Spain. Paco was an extremely common name in the Spain of that time. With desires to become a matador and to escape his father's control, Paco runs away to the capital from which the little title or from the title is just derived of Spain, Madrid. His father, desperate to reconcile with his son, follows him to Madrid and puts an ad in a local newspaper with a simple phrase, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Hemingway then writes, The next day at noon in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness. The world is full of people in need of forgiveness and reconciliation. And the model for such forgiveness is most profoundly found in Jesus Christ. Listen, the reason that Mark reveals this, the reason that this gospel captures this, 
so that we would understand what is of greatest importance. Jesus is the forgiver of sins, the one that can heal. So I ask you this morning, who do you relate to in this story? Maybe you're here and you're the paralytic. Do you think Jesus can do something physically for you and you wouldn't fully expect that Jesus can forgive you of your sins? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, when you're coming to this place and you say, you don't know my sins, you don't know how many things that I've done, Romans chapter 5, 20 says, my grace is more sufficient than your sin. Doesn't give you a list. If you're in this place, you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, today should be that day. Maybe you relate to the paralytic. Maybe you relate to the crowd. Maybe for years you've watched things and events that have taken place at church and you're kind of mad and frustrated because people are really trying to do things and you're not. I would tell you, some relate to the scribes in this story. You feel like Jesus should do it a certain way and in your way. Listen, in, some, in, in this story, some of you relate to the friends. That you're constantly going to people that are around you and telling them about who Jesus Christ is and how he can forgive sins. But I tell you this morning, we need to be those friends to the world that's around us. We need to be willing to take a roof off of somebody's house or do whatever it takes so that they can know who Jesus Christ is. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. Anytime you hear a message like this, my hope and my prayer is that it challenges you to the core of who you are. And that the Holy Spirit begins to convict you in some area. Because I promise you that there is somebody in your life right now that needs forgiveness from their sins. There is somebody that's around you that's waiting on you to bust the door down and tell them about who Jesus Christ is. An interesting read into this story. They don't talk much about the paralytic. They don't talk about how all this unfolds. I think Mark leaves that out because every scenario is different, right? It doesn't matter the scenario. It doesn't matter the person. It doesn't matter what we're supposed to be doing. We should be those friends that are taking the name of Jesus to people so that they can be forgiven of their sins. Listen, the reality is this. If you don't place your faith and trust in Christ, you spend eternity apart from Christ in a place called hell. For some reason, 
That doesn't matter to Christians as much anymore. I'm telling you, these friends got it. They did not want to see the paralytic continue to not walk. They were really surprised when when he was forgiven of their sins. Listen, whatever you're wearing this morning, whatever sins you brought into this place, if you're a believer, God has forgiven you of those sins. For some reason, I think we try to carry our sins so that we keep from doing the work that God's called us to do. So I beg you this morning, make Pooler Bible church full of people that will bust the walls down and raise roofs and go to any length possible so that other people would know who Jesus is. Make it the greatest priority in your life. Share the name of Jesus continually. Dear Father, I come to you begging you to convict the hearts of your people. So many times we look at the responsibility as somebody else's. Father, I just want to be one of those that carries people to Jesus and doesn't let anything get in the way. Entitled people, a roof structure, Father, I pray for each person that's sitting in this room this morning. When you begin to lay it on their heart, the person that needs to know who you are, that we don't get deterred, we don't get discouraged, we don't get frustrated when things don't go our way, but that we stay on track so that those people would know who you are. Father, may your name be lifted up this morning. May we become a church full of people that carry people to Jesus. Father, I love you and praise you this morning. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. If everybody would stand, we're gonna sing a verse of invitation. And the reason that we do an invitation is it's a time of response. It's interesting that I can preach a message as clear as what that is and that people would walk out unchanged look the power of scripture is that it changes our hearts so whether God put somebody upon your heart or not whatever he did with you this morning respond to him whether it's by coming forward or standing in those chairs and singing this last song maybe it's singing it with the depths of your heart just crying it out Whatever it is, respond to him this morning.